There are many ways to be stuck in an organization and hold back change. That's often because organizations are too often looking at technology as the solution, not people. Let's have ourselves a pocket-sized pep talk and meet our guest who's going to help us refocus on people for success, not technology. A pocket-sized pep talk, the podcast that can help energize your business and your life with a quick, inspiring message. Now, here's your host, Rob Jollis. Today's guest, Dr. Victoria M. Grady, is an organizational expert with decades of experience in Fortune 500, public and private organizations worldwide. She's the co-author of Stuck, How to Win at Work by Understanding Loss, and I'm glad to have her with us. Welcome to the show, Victoria. Thanks, Rob, so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, yeah, I should be. Uh, so let's dive right in. Where did you come up with the idea? A lot of times we don't find a book. It kind of finds us. So I'm I'm curious right out of the gate. Uh, how did you, you know, how did you land on this topic, this subject? What, what grabbed you? So I think that's such a great question. And Rob, it does. Um, topics like this sort of grab you uh, out of nowhere. About 15 years ago, I was sitting in a grad class um, with a professor named Jerry Harvey, who was lamenting about um, the inability of organizations to successfully implement change. Um, And he started talking about technology change. And I thought, you know, I think that there's some really interesting information um, in the human behavioral side of change that's not being addressed properly. Now that was the early, uh, not early 90s, early 2000s. Um, And definitely the literature was not as plentiful as it is today around change management, but there was definitely a hole there, right? There was an area affiliated or associated with organizational change and the human factor that wasn't not being addressed. And so I became what I'll, um, fondly referred to as obsessed with understanding more about why humans have such a hard time with change um, inherently. And so 15 years later, um, I I have what I think is some decent answers, probably not still the answer, because I would hypothesize that there's probably not one answer, but several different components that need to be taken into account in order to be successful. Yeah, I, I definitely think that um, in terms of change, and, and I'm no expert on the subject, but we've been we've been seeing change on steroids uh, during this pandemic. So, you know, like it or not, we've all come kind of kicking and screaming into yep. this uh, uh, in change. And I think it's walking right into your topic because um, you've got we're being forced through this pandemic to change. Um, and yet, uh, there's still people kind of stubbornly holding back. So let's stay there for a second. Let's let's move you to the workplace right now. Uh, we know that there's been some dramatic changes. Uh, walk me through, kind of from a change management expert, uh, how do you think this is going? Because we will come out of this pandemic at some point. But how this is progressing and what's going to stay? I think that's a really interesting question, Rob. And we just are, um, we being my um, the, my co-author, Patrick McCreesh, as well as some other uh, colleagues with um, a firm that we're working with to help um, uh, promote the book and, get, and let, let people know about the work that we've done. Um, we've been talking about this exact topic. And one of the things that really stood out to me 
um, during the early days of the pandemic is my inability um, to be productive. I, I, and, and when I said that to my colleague, he was like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, let me just tell you what my normal day looked like. I would get up at my typical time, 6.30, do what I do, be ready to go by 8.30, and then I would just sit there <laughs> I would, at my desk in my uh, home office. Um, and I wouldn't do anything. And I would doodle around and get up and go see what my husband was doing and go check on my kids who are now doing virtual school. Um, but none of this was necessary. I was just moving around. And I started thinking about it after about a month of not doing really much of anything until, I don't know, 11 or 12 o'clock um, and keeping track of exactly what my behaviors looked like. And what I found was that, that I was clearly having a hard time settling in to my work differently than I did when I was physically going to the office. And I started thinking about it. And you know what it was, Rob? You know, the difference was that I wasn't commuting. I didn't have that 45 minutes leaving my house, driving to work to kind of move into from mom and uh, partner and all that into being um the, my role as an associate professor, right? Where I was gonna have my hat on, where I was working with students and reading papers. And I didn't have that transition time. And the exact same thing was happening to me. Um, I noticed later in the day um, when I would um, historically have been driving home and it was the same thing, Rob. I really struggled with not having the commute. And I told some of my girlfriends that and they were like, well, you've lost it because what do you mean you're struggling not having a commute? And I was like, no, really, well, this is my time. I don't have any other time during the day where I can kind of get my thoughts processed that 45 minutes to and from work. And I'll tell you what, as soon as I started addressing that and rearranging my morning routine and my afternoon routine to account for personal time for me to kind of process into work mode and process out um, back into to being a part of this household mold, my productivity returned. It was crazy. And I know that's probably not what you're asking about the commute, but it was such a good example. No, I think it's a great example. And mm -hmm. it's and it's a it's kind of a blind spot. Uh, you know, it's funny totally. if, when, we, when we look at people and I, I tend to work out a lot and I'm a swimmer and do different things. Uh, you know, when you're a kid, you can get away with murder. But as you get older, uh, you have to warm up. You have to give you know, and, and the body kind of requires that mm -hmm. it makes complete sense that the mind would require it as well. I for me personally, I had um, a different issue, and that is a form of procrastination mm -hmm. and um you know, everybody thinks that when you hear the word procrastination that, oh, so you just get lazy. It's nothing to do with laziness. <laughs> right. Procrastination. I actually started studying procrastination, not for me, but for a group of people I was helping. And I, I told them, I don't know about you all, but I learned a ton. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and what I learned because I could see it in myself was real procrastination is the is when people start doing things that they like to do versus what they really should be doing. In other words, I'm being very, I feel very uh, active and I'm on, on my game. I'm just not really doing, you know, grading the papers right now, but I found some really <laughs> meaningful things to do. Right. And, right. and I think that that warm up gives you an opportunity to just sort of clear that out. So you're ready to go. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It makes yeah. complete sense to me. It's mm -hmm. odd because, you know, everyone else is is, is celebrating the fact that they don't have to commute. I so, know, 
right? <laughs> so what? So let's stay there just for a second. So I, I, my, my mind is leaping all sorts of ideas here, but I want to hear from you. You're the expert. So, okay. The bad news is, I can't believe I'm saying it. The bad news is we don't have the 40 minute commute anymore. Right. <laughs> so how do you, or how would you recommend others get around that warm up? Well, for me, I mean, I think it's individual, right? And I think that's one of the things that we really lack enough of in the change management literature is that it's it's up to the individual, whether it be like an individual person or an individual organization, right? Mm -hmm. We are a, a, a culture of cookie cutter approaches, in my opinion, right? right? And that doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And so what I would say to you is for me, it's an exercise routine, right? It's an exercise routine that I do now twice a day. Um, it's great. This has had other benefits because I, unlike you, um, really hate exercising, <laughs> really hate exercising. Um, but this has worked for me to, to, to walk in the morning and in the afternoon that kind of allows me to prepare myself. I have, you know, a really good... Um, process that works for me individually but I think some people um you know have to have a morning coffee where they sit and watch a show or they listen to that radio spot that they were used to listening to on the commute I mean you have to figure out what works for you I didn't have any specific thing that I did other than be with myself right so for me going for a walk for 45 minutes in the afternoon and in the morning has proven to be health benefit. That wasn't the intention of just being honest. Um, that was the intention was to help my brain transition from being in the family role, whatever you want to call it, to a work role. And it works really well for me. But other people, like I said, maybe you just want to sit and listen to a radio. Maybe you want to take what well, maybe you need to actually get in your car and drive your kids to school. Maybe your spouse has always been the one taking your children to school, but maybe it's, you could do that now to give yourself that time coming back um, to really process from um, the, the uh, uh, home person or, or, or uh, your personal self into your work self. So. Well, yeah, but it makes complete sense. Uh, I mean, I, I think what I'm walking away with is put something in its place, mm -hmm. uh, but That's don't just it. assume that you can just turn on the computer and, uh, and jump in. Um, right. And, and so think it out a little bit. And you're right. Some people take a walk, some people read a paper. Mm -hmm. uh, I found myself, I wasn't a big hot tea drinker, but I've been drinking, I, I sort of like the ritual of that hot mm -hmm. tea. And I never had a home office before. So mm -hmm. I think maybe as an unconscious competent, patting myself on the back here, um, I, I uh, <laughs> accidentally found a routine that does help me. But, you know, I always tell people when you're an unconscious competent, uh, you're one move away from losing it, be, losing that unconscious competency, because when you don't know what it is that you're doing right, and you're validating this for, for me and for those who are listening, uh, let's make that more of a conscious competent behavior, more of a behavior that we know we're doing and we know its purpose. So I like that. I, I and, and a complete blind spot uh, for me, by the way, I wrote a piece fairly recently called, I think it was called getting back into meeting live shape. I'm so now used to not being in front of people that uh, the last time I've had a pretty active month where I've had three programs on the road in four weeks and I was clumsy, not with my materials and things. I was focused on me a lot, not my client. Mm 
Uh, and I and I and it and it made sense to me when I thought, well, wait a minute, who have you been paying attention to? <laughs> That's two yeah. years, you know. So I found myself a lot of sentences ending with, well, I'd like this, and that will make it be easier for me if we do it that way. And you know, I would never speak like that. So sort of the opposite of to back up and and go back to my conscious move maneuvers of you know, let's make the client first, Rob. Uh, you're on the road again. Right. Yeah. You know, I think what you say is really interesting and, and noting it, but I also think giving it a name and it does have a name, Rob, um, there's this, this this body of literature in the developmental psychology space around something called transitional objects and transitional mm -hmm. space, that this is all taken directly from that work. Um, it is not something you're going to find in the business or workplace literature. Um, for the most part, this is something that we have identified as um, a really interesting piece of developmental psychology that has been um, unfortunately somewhat ignored um, as it relates to adult behavior in the workplace. And this is incredibly relevant, especially now as we are all doing exactly what you just said, and that is figuring out we're re-navigating what it means to leave our homes as you know and go to work or travel to deliver a lecture at a conference or you know be present on a client site we are re-establishing what it means to do those things and for me those were all things that were just second nature and they're not anymore they're di right. it's different i don't know i you noted it for you what it feels like different for me it just it just is it's just different now right. so i think it's important to recognize that wow there's even a name for this <laughs> that we're trying this space that we're creating um that is um a valid theory that just basically says we need that to, to create that intermediary space when we are transitioning from the current state to the future state and whether that current to future is a daily activity going to work or it's a we are retransitioning back to be active members of society that travel and get out and commute to work or don't or you know really focusing on what that new um I hesitate to say post pandemic because I don't know if we're there yet, but the, whatever the whatever wherever post -ish. we are, it's the postish pandemic. We're we're getting there. <laughs> That's perfect. I'm going to steal that from you. Postish pandemic space. I love that because that's. I mean, I think we. It's time to move. We got to figure this out now, and I think yeah. you're spot on. Yeah, the book is stuck. How to win at work by understanding loss, and uh, I, it's really interesting. I, I do find myself all over that conscious competent model because, boy, we just walked into it again in terms of when mm -hmm. you do things properly that you're no longer having to think about. And then you take that, like playing golf. You know, I'm not a great golfer, but let's pretend I am. Great golf swing. <laughs> and a great golf swing is one that you that has muscle memory attached to it. You're not really thinking about all those moves. Let's put the golf clubs away for two and a half years. Mm -hmm. Okay, now go back out again. <laughs> uh, things that were very natural to you are going to be challenging. And the things that you never even learned that you were doing right, mm -hmm. it's very hard to reproduce. And that's why I like conversations like this, where we're starting to make more conscious, competent moves as opposed to leaving it up to what will, what will normally feel right. Nothing feels right right now for many of us. We have to learn to walk again. We have to learn our steps again. Uh, fascinating. Let's stay on that transitional 
um, piece for a moment. You talk about that in your book of um, holistically as well. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? So what I mean by holistically is I think that when we experience change, we have to understand um, the entire process, right? Mm. And let me give you an example. Um, And I was just talking about this this morning um, with some other colleagues. So about, I I was in grad school. So about 15 years ago, I was delivering um, a training course um, with an organization that was very heavy military Um, transitioning from one word processing software to another one. Um, And the the upgraded word processing software was going to allow everyone to do much of their work and dictation, um, transcription, that kind of thing on their own. So the individuals that were in my class um, were about half and half military, half and half government service. Um, there was one individual in the back of the room who um, was a brigadier general. And I knew that because he wore his uniform um, to the training class. Um, and I, as I watched him through um, the class, I, I was concerned that he was so exasperated that he wasn't um, paying attention to any of the different things that we were talking about in terms of embracing um, this updated or upgraded Um, word processing software. So at a break, I said to him, I said, you know, it seems like you're going to miss stuff um, that we're talking about because you're just exasperated, frustrated. You're sitting in the back of the room and it feels like you've shut down. Can you talk to me a little bit about what might be going on? What is it? Um, Is it, you know, is it, is the room uncomfortable? tell, Tell me a little bit about what's going on. And he said, you know what, Victoria, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with me. I am so frustrated, exasperated, the exact words that you use, because this new software represents me losing my assistant. And I have no idea how I'm going to add all this work to my daily routine. So for all the years that I've been a part of the military, I've had an assistant assigned to me. And now because of this new technology, I'm losing that person. That person is now going to be shared among like four or five people. So we no longer have an individual assigned to each of us. We're going to share one person, which I recognize is more efficient, but I'm really frustrated about it. I'm really mad um, that, that I have to do this. And so I said, I think that's really important that you acknowledge that because that's that's what we mean with holistic, right? The, his organization was doing the right thing with setting up training. They had told them about why they were doing this. They had integrated them as part of the process. But the holistic piece comes into account when you say, but they didn't really take into account how this was going to impact the individuals, right? The individual behavioral modifications that would have to take place for for these folks who had become accustomed to having much of the work done by other individuals, not themselves, and not sharing the the assistant um, to work with other people, that it was going to be a different way they interacted with work. And so his frustration was primarily tied to the change that he had to go through in terms of what his daily work tasks were going to look like. It had nothing to do with the software, right? Right. And if you didn't ask those questions and dig in, your automatic response would have been, oh, he just doesn't like new technology. He's just, you know, doesn't, he's worried about the technology. Maybe he's a little bit on the older side. So, you know, he's not as technology 
uh, technologically proficient. That would have been all wrong, Rob, all wrong. Right. Because right. those would have been assumptions that you would have projected onto him based on all the other factors that weren't really at play. It was something very different than I would have ever imagined. And so I think that for me has stuck with me as a really important piece of who I am um, as a individual working with organizations and really understanding that the individual is a very important part of this process. And you've got to understand even though it's expensive and it's time consuming, you've got to understand down to the to the individual level, because I fully believe that if you do from the beginning understand at that spot, then it will save you money in the end because you won't be trying to react to a situation that you didn't anticipate. Does that make sense? Well, it makes complete sense. You, you know, I have to remind you, you're talking to a sales trainer. And everyone is like, well, Rob, we're not selling here. Oh, yeah. What you did that. 95% of the salespeople don't do, they think they're doing it, but they're not is mm -hmm. you, you did not assume you knew what the objection was. So you did something that we preach over and over again, which is just clarify the objection. Mm -hmm. Let's, I, I, you know, what most people would do, and I know we're not selling something here, but in a sense, we're selling an idea. We're mm -hmm. trying to get this person on board uh, to make the assumption that this is what the objection is. So I already know that he's frustrated with the technology. Okay. Uh, so I'll give them, give them three more reasons why this technology or this product will be good. Uh, that'll take care of it. Yeah. And we're not really getting at the true objection. And he could, you could have asked that question and you could have gotten my sister-in-law, uh, lost her job or my brother-in-law, uh, had a, 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 a wind turbine fall on his car, you know, yes. and so we, you know, okay, but at least we, we now what know what the objection is. The, certainly our response, the, the, the questions that we ask on top of that are far different than, let me give you two more reasons why the technology is going to be good here. That, so <laughs> I walk away reminding people that when, even if you are pretty sure you know what the objection is, mm -hmm. when you ask somebody that question, they feel validated. Yeah. They feel as if you're listening. You don't have to tell them I knew it all along. Let them paint the picture for you mm -hmm. and then respond. If nothing else, you've just added empathy to the conversation and solving it for a human being does not add empathy. Yep, that is exact. Rob, that is, yes, that is exactly what we're talking about. And that's what we mean by holistic approach, right? Got you it. can have the greatest change management framework in the world, and it still won't work if you don't understand the people that are the individuals that are going to be impacted by the change. Yeah. Wow. Um, really good pieces. Uh, now, I'm, I'm going to bounce to another area only because I'm smiling. I've never had a co-author before. So uh, I noticed that you have a co-author on your book. Is this your first book? So it's not my first book. It's so funny that you asked that. So I actually, um, this is book number four. Okay. Um, and we had um, the first book I wrote um, with my dad, who is my business partner. Um, and it was very, very um, science-based. We mm -hmm. did a second book um, with Patrick McCreesh, who's um, my co-author on this book. 
and another colleague from the UK that we recognized really needed to be even more science-based um, than the first one and really kind of lay our claim, if you will, to this body of literature because there isn't very much written about this. And like I mentioned a little bit ago, it's a developmental psychology principle or theory that we really needed to recognize its role um, in the workplace. So we, we established that with, with book number two. Um, then I kind of did a really fun sidestep and I got to work on a, a book with some colleagues from seven different countries around the globe. And that was just a really fun experience with um, other women um, who were working in, in a similar space and really um, trying, trying to work together uh, across the, the world was just phenomenal. And then Patrick and I came back to this. What we recognized is that the book around science was very textbookish. Patrick is also um, a PhD. And while Patrick isn't um, in the academic world, um, it's his full-time job. He definitely um, has an affinity for that space as, as I do. But different than me, Patrick um, really uh, values the practical application of theoretical work. So he and I spent, I would say probably in the neighborhood of 100 to 200 or so, but probably I'll go in the middle. We'll say 150 hours talking about my um, experience working with clients, listening to his experience working with clients and really defining practical application of all this theory and all this science that we've been working on for about five years. So it, it turned into uh, a, a book that we hope will be similar to a field guide of sorts, because it actually has exercises and tables and things that you can do to work through what's going on inside of the change initiative, inside of your employees' heads, really hopefully will make leaders think about, let me use this to guide our process. And that was well, the intent. Yeah. Well, I sure hope so, because <laughs> look, um, I know you're an educator. I'm an educa a corporate educator. Uh, at the end of the day, at least on the corporate side, we should be evaluated on, uh, I mean, I hope it was entertaining and motivational, inspirational. I know I taught you a lot. I want to see what you implement from this conversation. So when you start talking about exercises and doing things, you know, putting, getting people to engage and involved in your material, you're up in the ante on I don't want to just talk to you through these pages. I actually am hoping to create change. Ironically, it's not what you're writing about. Would yeah. be wonderful if those who are reading the book incorporate the changes. If all you do is talk to them, how could they do that? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. It's such a good. It's, it's such a good um, note that you make. And just to kind of take it a step further, one of the things that, as someone who is deeply entrenched in the academic. Um, world, I often have a hard time relating theory. And so one of the really cool things that I don't know if you noticed it at the end of the book that Patrick did is he um, created a list of characters from television shows, super popular television shows um, that you might be able to relate to in terms of how you process change so that it, it takes, it's not bad that you might process change um, like George Costanza on Seinfeld, right? That's okay. That's a perfectly acceptable way. Or you might process it like um, Rachel on um, on Friends, or you might process it like um, I don't know the the. Yeah, bring up a more uh, you know I love those sitcoms, but we 
bring them up. To give me a, give me one now. Uh, and I'm actually trying to think uh, there's so, there's so much streaming and yet what are we watching? But uh, yeah, I hear you. Uh, billions. Have you seen that? I've seen billions. I, I've seen, I think three seasons of it. I, it just seemed to be going on for billions of years. Yeah, so yeah, I yeah. had to, I had well, to move on. <laughs> there's definitely some good characterizations and, you know, in terms of how they um, process change, like the psychologist and how she processes change is totally yeah. different from how Ash does. So. Right. I'm squirming in my seat. Cause I've got, I've got the poster child of okay. sitcoms demonstrating change uh, for, for a long time. I always thought Seinfeld this is my, my humble opinion was the best sitcom ever made, but I don't think that anymore. I'm going with Shit's Creek. Uh, easy. It's uh, an easy call because look at how every character progresses. Seinfeld, not only do they not progress, if you really pay attention to the final episode, they're put in jail because they so <laughs> haven't progressed, basically. They're the same People, they, they care about no one but themselves. If you watch Shit's Creek and watch the first season or so, they only care about themselves and their wealth. And look where the where the characters get to. It's it's it's, it's inspiring. That's huge. I, I totally I should have worn my my T-shirt. Um, I have a T-shirt with the Rose Hotel on it. <laughs> yes. Rosebud. Yeah. Rosebud Hotel. Yeah, I think yeah. that's it. Yeah. I, he think I wear that t-shirt all the time and people don't know what it is. Oh, where is that? I'm like, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> but those characters do um, evolve to wonderful people. All yes. Of them. More They're not amazing. wonderful in the beginning. Yes. Not so wonderful, but I do love her hats and her wigs in the beginning. I <laughs> well, I think that, that kind of stays on. But anyway. All right. Uh, two more questions. I'll let you go. Uh, first one, just so we can put some some real meat on the bone here. Uh, we, we You gave me a great example of, of really climbing in as an educator and getting that person to maybe open up a little bit. But uh, if, if I'm in an office or I'm working with people right now and I'm listening to this, uh, give me one or two good ideas to get help get my teammate, the person I'm managing, uh, my uh, coworker, give me one or two Good thoughts on getting them unstuck. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think with be with when you get stuck, um, it involves your brain, right? So let's mm -hmm. let's just take it to the most basic level. Um, the, where where we're actually talking about so this is biology, right? Mm -hmm. So deep in your limbic system, there are three different functions: there's memory, emotion, and learning, right? And memory, emotion, and learning impact how we interact with the world, right? And so we, in order to make an organization or people inside of an organization really embrace change, we've got to, um, I'm going to say cautiously, help them understand that they have to let go of the memory, emotion, and learning that may be associated with whatever the current state is, right? Um, what they're used to, those things that they feel comfortable with just like we did with the pandemic and just like many of the um, uh, organizations are, are going through now. Great example is the hybrid workplace, right? I was listening to a call on my way home from a meeting this, this morning about we just can't go hybrid. It's not efficient. It doesn't make sense for our organization. We need our people to be there. They won't be creative. They won't be innovative if we don't um, if we don't go hybrid. I mean, if we if we if we go hybrid. So the argument was 
we can't go hybrid. Our people need to be in the office. That's the only way for them to be creative and innovative. And I say, wrong, right? <laughs> um, because what the last two years has shown us is that we can, in fact, be innovative and creative. So we've got to let go of the memory, emotion, and learning from the past that says, no, you can't be creative and innovative if you're at home. And recognize as we move through that, I talked about transitional space, like that time that I needed to, to work through with the commuting. So we needed to work through that transitional space to get to the other side to recognize that the last two years show us that we can, in fact, be innovative, creative, and productive um, in a, an environment where it was 100% virtual. And yeah, maybe we need to come back a little bit, right? Maybe there is a reason to come in one day a week or two days a week, or you know, every organization is going to have to come up with their own um, uh, formula, if you will, for what that hybrid workplace looks like. But there is absolutely no reason that we can't work together and disrupt our memory, emotion, and learning to recondition for a new way of doing work. And it's completely equivalent in terms of effectiveness and efficiency, and maybe even increasing for productivity and performance. What do you think about that? I think you're absolutely right. Um, and I think one of the challenges is, is that um, we got to get people to listen. Uh, they dig in so deeply. Yes. That, um, and and you know I'm I'm I maybe I was one of them. I, I just in terms of at home learning and and people working from home. I was the guy that snickered and went, yeah, right. Uh, you're going to be working from home. You're gonna you're gonna take a class on your laptop. <laughs> uh, so I just I really never listened to anyone speak to me about it then all of a sudden we're thrown into this yeah. vat and we go well i guess uh, we're gonna have to do this uh, victoria i have to tell you that when i left xerox and i'm going into my 30th year now i always was a guy that grabbed my you know laptop bag got in the car put the key in and drove to the office mm -hmm. and 30 years ago when i became an entrepreneur uh, of a one-person company at that time uh I found a hole in the wall place that I could uh, office, but because my work is on the road, but yeah. there was no way I was going to even trust me at home. Um, I was so dug in. Then all of a sudden we, we, we're thrown into this. And now does it work? It, it works beautifully. Of course, there's some issues with it, but uh, for every, like anything else, for every issue you give me, I'll give you something that you can't get from that uh, at work or that hybrid situation. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I'm reacting to what you say, and I'm and I'm I'm looking down at the floor a little bit and scolding myself and saying, when I'm on my game and I'm stubborn, <laughs> it's when somebody reminds me to listen to understand, not refute. Don't argue. Don't work on your argument for it, Rob. Right now, mm -hmm. listen and and process what this other what this book, magazine, human being is telling you. But don't sit there with your argument ready to go. You're going to miss half of what they're saying anyhow. 
Yeah. Well, I think you're right. And I, but I think the important thing to recognize is that this is nature, right? We yeah. all do this. This is, yeah. we all have a limbic system in our brain, <laughs> or you and I, what did we have in this conversation? Right. So we have to recognize that this is biology, right? This is something we really do have to um, proactively recognize and, and think about as we move forward. It doesn't just happen that you can let it go and move on to the next phase. You need to think about it, right? As you process through. Yeah, I, I agree. The book stuck how to win at work by understanding loss. If you haven't decided to buy that book yet, you should because we're going on a marathon podcast right now. I have to stop uh, because of the <laughs> podcast rules. There aren't any really, but uh, I, uh, it's called pocket size pep talks, some pocket size pep talk. Uh, it's a deep and vast topic that you're into right now. Mm -hmm. And I could honestly, th there's no doubt I could, we could spend another hour here and we'd still be For scratching sure. the surface of this, sure. uh, <laughs> but I'm walking away with some really good ideas and some reminders. Tell me, uh, uh, how do people get a hold of you, Victoria? So the best way to get a hold of me um, is going to be through email. Um, and my email is uh, V, uh, like Victoria, M as in Mary, Grady, G-R-A-D as in Delta Y, at pivot, P-I-V-O-T-P-N-T dot com. So V-M Grady at pivot, P-I-V-O-T-P-N-T dot com. Excellent. And I'll put it on our um, sites as well so people can um, get a hold of you. And I'm assuming they can get the book at Amazon. Yeah, can, get can it on Amazon. Yeah, on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You can also reach out to me on LinkedIn and we can connect and start a conversation there if that's more comfortable. Good. Uh, but I'll go back to that book. Uh, people know that I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm pretty serious about this. Uh, I, I do like those that uh, listen to this podcast to uh, pick up the books of the authors if this topic is making sense to you and, and you're a knucklehead if it isn't you're, 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 you need to change <laughs> if it isn't but but go the extra mile when you do and, and write a nice review it means a lot to the author and it does change that amazon algorithm so um it, you, you you get a b if you get the book and you get an a plus if you write a review on it but i i really enjoyed the conversation a great deal i've learned a lot and that's the, one of the nicest things about podcasting for me is I just keep learning. <laughs> and, it's amazing. And yeah. Uh, and um, anyway, you did a great job. Wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yes. Thank you, Rob. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to your listeners for being interested in this really, it's an important topic, really. Very important topic. And, and it's a very timely topic. Well, we'll do it again as well as we can next time, everybody. Until then, stay safe. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please rate and recommend it on iTunes, Outcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more information on this show and Rob at Jollis.com. <laughs>